Dawn Hall is a TEDx speaker, mental health advocate, and CEO of human performance company EnergyX. Sean's superpower is helping humans and workplaces slay the energy vampires that cause burnout, crush creativity, and stifle inclusion. He's on a mission to help everyone have the energy they need to discover and achieve their purpose or X factor. Sean, welcome. So great to be talking to you today. Fantastic to have a chat with you too. And I think as as we in the Southern Hemisphere head into uh, the, the summer period after what's been a pretty long couple of years with a, with a global pandemic, I think this, this topic and this conversation is arguably more relevant than the first podcast we recorded about two and a half years ago. It's scary to even think how much the world is, has changed in that time. Yeah, it, it, it really is. But um, I, I've been following lots of lots of the interviews and um, content that you've been publishing over the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I had enjoyed it and found it valuable before um, before we'd ever heard of COVID, but but all the more so now. So I'm really keen to to dig into some of this, Sean. It'll be great. Fantastic. And, you know, and one of my big beliefs through all of this too, Katie, is I'm what you'll find I'm very much a, an optimist in all of these things. And I do really think that we have an opportunity right now to come out of this actually better than we went in when we start to think about all of the it's the little experiences that we've been having over these years that have really raised this, you know, this idea, this topic of having more energy or avoiding burnout really to the surface. I, I, I think you're right. I was listening to a, a Brené Brown podcast this morning and, and she was interviewing someone who was saying that a lot of the work practices that we have um, or have had have pre-COVID had been designed 20, 30 or more years ago. Um, and, you know, work has evolved massively since then. So it, it is actually appropriate that we are completely going back to the start and, and rethinking all of this and that it can be a, an amazing opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we sort of, in many ways, you know, we put these walls up around a crisis and we forget that, as you were saying before, we were having crises around mental health, around burnout before this. It's not like we lived in some sort of mental health utopia prior to COVID. If anything, what COVID's done has actually made that experience of not being at our mentally at our best actually something that we've all experienced for the first time. And instead of, I guess, putting this idea of there's this group of people that are having you know, mental health issues in this sort of corner, suddenly that's all of us. And so it's really been this great leveler. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I've certainly talked a whole lot more about my own mental health and, and some of the challenges over the, the couple of years with, you know, lockdown and, and homeschooling. And my my strong sense is that it's by my talking about some of what I have struggled with is is making other people feel more comfortable to open up and, you know, be vulnerable and talk about their their own experiences and just feel less alone, which can only surely be a good thing. Absolutely. I know that when I first uh, went through my burnouts, I felt very alone in that experience. Uh, I often talk about when I first talked about it in my TED talk that it was almost like a second coming out for me and one that was yeah. 
you know, a little bit more scary, actually, to be honest. I felt there was a lot more at risk. Um, you know, I thought I'd lose everything in terms of my career if I came out about not being mentally at my best. Um, and I do think that there is, like, there's sort of this double-edged sword going on right now, which is, yes, this topic is actually more top of mind than it's ever been before. We've got this great leveler going on. But at the same time, what I'm seeing is that people are actually sort of tired about talking about it at mm-hmm. the same time. And, uh, and, you know, you and I both as marketers understand that the, the, the brand mental health actually means the opposite, you know, so that has, has some big issues. Uh, and I think that what people are, are looking for is they're looking for different types of conversations uh, to be able to have hopeful, optimistic, sort of joyful conversations. And, and this is where I'll always say, you know, if you've got a brand uh, that creates a smile in people's minds, like you know that you're in a good place. Mm. If, if people have a good association with it, but the brand mental health does not do that. Um, if you say to someone, we're going to talk about mental health, they're instantly, they're probably going to put some walls up. They're not, they're, and it's very unlikely they're going to start smiling. Yes, yes. It feels like that's the very opposite of let's having, let's have an uplifting conversation. Mm. And the one other anecdotal thing I've heard too is that um people are feeling like it's almost like suddenly my workplace wants to have mental health conversations and what that's actually doing for some people is to say well does that mean that i'm going to be forced to talk about it as well and that is something which tends to push people back more into their shell versus even though the intent is good so we need to be very mindful of the way in which we're uh looking and providing the context around these conversations too Mm, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it from from that perspective and you know I think looking at that some more Sean you know many people relate to the idea of an energy vampire and that's something that you talk about lots can you share some more thinking some some more of your work and thinking on that front please yeah yeah absolutely like I ultimately it comes back to that whole conversation around you know how can we approach something in a more of a light-hearted way that makes it easier for people to engage and so what I'll say to people is that burnout is actually caused by energy vampires and we and instantly that sort of gets people to lean in a little bit more what do you what do you mean by that because often we'll think about uh, energy vampires as as usually people in our life that seem to sort of suck the life out of us um yep. But what we don't often think about is actually often we turn up as energy vampires and usually to the people that we care about the most, we'll be giving them our worst energy. And so what we look for is we we've identified what we call what are essentially 13 different types of energy vampires that are behaviors that we do um, that ultimately deplete us. And so uh, an energy vampire decision essentially is, or an energy vampire is being sleep sleep deprived. Now, um, in many many scenarios, we actually invite that energy vampire into our lives in some way, um, and usually it might it can come it, it might be because we're just unaware, right? That that actually just getting that one hour less sleep is actually going to actually have quite a profound 
impact on our overall energy and our overall ability to achieve and feel successful. Uh, or we might invite an energy vampire into our life because we just don't really know the science around how to deal with that. Um, so, you know, we've never been taught really how to sleep well. Uh, and the sleep science provides us some really, really clear ways uh, to make very simple, consistent decisions that are going to increase the quantity and quality of our sleep. Or sometimes an energy vampire could be something that we're just not aware of. So uh, I think most of us are familiar with our, self, with our inner critic, with our self-talk, and our, you know, we'll be beating ourselves up, we'll be saying stuff to ourselves over and over again that we would never say to other people. Uh, and yeah. And that is a decision, right? That's a decision that we make constantly to, to allow that inner critic to beat us up. But we've never also been taught how to deal with that inner critic. And so what's really key in this energy vampire conversation is one, identifying what are the different energy vampires I'm experiencing right now? Um, how did I how did I invite them into my world? Because just like the, the stories, you know, the only way a vampire gets into your house is if you invite it in. Um, and this is saying that we need to take more responsibility and more awareness of. What, why aren't we taught some of those things? Are we supposed to be good at them? This is That's a really good question. Uh, and I think in my own experience, right, I had to look back and go, well, why did I experience those severe forms of burnout? Uh, and ultimately it came back to a whole bunch of decisions that I either wasn't aware of mm -hmm. or I wasn't practicing consistently. So, you know, the irony in my situation was that I knew a lot about the physical aspects of wellbeing because I'd spent 16 years in the fitness industry prior to moving into the corporate world. So I knew a lot about how, you know, exercise and nutrition perhaps I guess would be would have been my strong suits. But I wasn't really aware of the impact of um, my inner critic of how I was making decisions around my relationships, you know, about how I was saying yes to everything in terms of managing my diary um, instead of creating boundaries for myself. And so I think at the end of the day, it just comes back to the simple fact that we've never been taught how to be well. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and, and that holistically wellness is about looking at all of these different parts of our lives it's about prevention in the first place instead of dealing with things when we've got those symptoms uh, and, and and it's it's really about um, continuing to take really full responsibility for our lives as well there's a lot lot to unpack <laughs> in, in all of that um, but I think I think the sleep the sleep one is is well, certainly for me, I think the very biggest one that that um, impacts my mental health and well-being and ability to to concentrate for sure. Well, absolutely, and it's what we've seen is that when I talk about, I guess, the profound impact is that you know, literally just one night of sleep deprivation, as you've talked about, is going to have some impacts on you the next day. I often say to people, your night determines your day. And so if we can focus on um, just simple, again, science tells us the way I, I, I talk about, you know, in our intro, we talked about that I see myself as a sort of energy vampire slayer. <laughs> and that's what I try to teach other people to be as well. 
Um, but at the end of the day, the original, the OG energy vampire slayers, it's, it's actually not Buffy. Um, it's actually the scientists. The scientists tell us exactly how and where to start in terms of slaying energy vampires. And it's really just like any other skill, it's like that we need to learn and then practice really practice to get competent and confident at. Well, and I really like the way that you approach all of this in that it's science evidence based. It's not the woo woo, um, <laughs> touchy feely stuff, you know. It, it, yeah, there's there's evidence behind it. I think it's really important. I mean, obviously, like one of the things that I see as my job is that well-being as a topic itself it can be very overwhelming for people and especially if you're burnt out stressed depressed anxious because you'll feel often that you want to you need to change your whole life yeah and and often what well it's not often it's actually every single time i work with a client essentially they just say to me where do i start like what's the first thing i should do and that's really what i see our job is at energyx is we help people First of all, understand their context, right? What are the energy vampires are experiencing? But then importantly, just say to them, hey, Katie, look, this is the one thing, this is the most important thing for you to focus on right now. And what the science says is just start here. Just well, do this one thing. Well, and, and if one, if a person is feeling really overwhelmed and burnt out, then rather than mixing up and changing everything in life, changing one thing surely feels a whole lot more achievable. A hundred percent, you know, and, and this is why with sleep, for instance, um, you know, the, sli the science just says, just go to bed at the same time. Yeah. Right. That is literally it, right? Like if you can get into a routine and what I, what I believe, I guess, in this key sort of design principle to all the work we do as well is that humans are designed to be in rhythm. You are designed to be in rhythm, whether it's your heart rate or your um, or your breath, your circadian rhythm when we're talking about sleep. Um, there will be rhythms that you have, daily rhythms, monthly rhythms, obviously it's, it's something that, that, that women as well, are going, most women are going to be experiencing too. So if we can focus on those rhythms, those rhythms that are there to help us survive, when we're really good at them, they actually become performance rhythms, just like an athlete, you know, athlete, we, we breathe just the way an athlete would, but an athlete gets really, really good at breathing. So they increase their lung capacity. For instance, it is a really simple way of showing the difference between survival and performance. So we're talking a whole lot about balance here. Is it really possible to achieve it and, and how? <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the big question, right? Um, first of all, I just, I guess, you know, when it comes to balance, I think that there's been a lot of, you know, I'm going to say a couple, probably going to say a few controversial things uh, here today, because I think like it's really important that we we talk to people like humans, you know, and I think that we've seen um, a lot of sort of spin around things where they say, you know, people try to go, well, balance isn't achievable. So actually what you're looking for is work-life integration, you know, or something like that. And I just yeah. think, oh, that just makes my skin crawl that we put a word like integration and we apply that to humans. You know, like, I just think like, we just got to talk to people like they're humans, like not like they're machines. Oh. And, and so balance is going to be different for all of us. And what, where we need to start is we need, to, you need to start at looking at well, what does balance actually look and feel like for you? 
because if you don't have a place to start then you're just going to be sort of you know wandering around in the wilderness or you'll be comparing yourself to other people and it's like well that's that's not useful either because they don't they don't have your life your responsibilities your world at all so balance needs to be start with you first of all and it's also going to be a process as as you would think like a scale set of scales of like experimentation to find actually where that that sits and i don't think it's about being idealistic first of all it's not like like you've got just this one place there's going to be like a little bit of variance on either side you know which you're prepared to 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 deal with because life is is never going to be absolutely perfect every day so i think that that is important in the first place is knowing you know what what do i think balance actually looks like for me what would that mean in terms of the different parts of my life and how much energy i'm giving to or getting from each of those parts of my life i think then once you've got you know a an indication and again not trying to be perfect in this like I think this is one of the big problems that we have is everyone's just trying to be perfect it's like we're not that's it's never going to be that way and so letting go of that is really important and then the second thing is going well balance is only created by boundaries and this again is something that I think that we don't spend enough time first of all determining for ourselves yes. and then actually um you know bringing those to life you know actually behaving in that way and i would ask anybody you do you have your boundaries literally written down somewhere and i bet you 99 of people don't uh mm -hmm. and i think a, a really good place to start is um because this can feel hard right at, at times yeah. because often boundaries especially when it comes to relationships that can feel really hard right in terms of establishing those but a, a great way to get good at boundaries is to start with things that do feel achievable and do feel very measurable and so i'll start with three the first is uh is really about technology and and, and email right and and literally say write down when i'm going to put my device away so i'm going to put my device away at this time and i'm not going to touch it again until this time okay yep that's a great one to start with, right? And and coming back to sleep, I recommend that you stop touching your device and you put your device and your device never goes into your bedroom. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important is to have is to not have that device in your bedroom. Get a get an alarm clock yep. <laughs> if you need one. Oh. Right? Um, the the next thing uh, is around email, right? So technology and email. So when will you open your first email when will you send your last one for instance and literally write that down okay um yep. you know and again this is going to be different to different people we know that yeah. you know there's lots of parents out there for instance that will do a little bit of a double shift sometimes you know yep. they'll do some work in the afternoon they'll, they'll they might do a school run they'll they'll do dinner they'll put the kids to bed and then they might do an hour or two at night you know but but at least have those boundaries literally written down uh, the second one i think is really important and i think we've seen the impact of this a lot over covid is is boundaries around social media and news mm -hmm. yeah um and so you know we will touch our devices literally hundreds of times a day you yeah, know and so incredibly confronting you know you yeah your device x number of times 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so um, when I talk about social media, first of all, I say one of the boundaries is remember that when it comes to social media, you actually have the power. Like you are determining who deserves your attention. Yes. And so I'll encourage people to almost think like they were joining social media for the first time again. And you go, if you were joining social media for the first time, knowing what you know now, what would be the criteria by which you would determine that someone deserves your attention? Mm. Right, so who are the, so I will say, like, well, I only try to only follow people that either inspire me or guide and educate me. Yep. Yeah. Right. Anybody that actually makes me feel bad about myself, makes me, you know, makes it, you know, leads me down the path of comparing myself or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Unfollow, unsubscribe, block, mute, yeah. right? Whatever you need to do, right? Yeah. And really think about that from the start. Like, so d don't follow energy vampires, right? Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Oh, sure. Simple as yeah. that. Um, and then same with news, you know, we can get, you know, the, I heard this term for the first time over, um, uh, over COVID around doom scrolling, right? Where people are actually literally just yeah. feeding themselves with all of this junk, you know, that's making them feel bad about themselves. And so this always on news cycles, which can be very damaging to our mental health. And so just saying, okay, I'm only going to check the news, you know, at, at one or two points during the day. Yes. You know, yeah. and not letting myself be constantly exposed to that. Um, and then the final boundary, which is really important for people, is just about access to you. So you will have, coming back to your energy state, like you will have certain times a day where you feel um, that it's easier for you to get into flow. It's easier for you to focus, for instance. Yeah. And so it's really important to, to, to again, consciously work out where those times of days are okay. and our, our sleep. Sorry, say that again. Is this our circadian rhythm? Yeah, so so our chronotype can actually help us yeah. do that. So yeah. so your chronotype is like whether you're a morning or night person. So based on that, there'll be certain times of day where you're better to do either uh, sort of quite analytical work or more creative and insight-driven work. Yeah. And so protecting those parts in your diary and then communicating those and then asking your teammates like what times of day are you best in flow okay well now that i know that i'm not going to book a meeting there i'm not going to interrupt you i'm going to respect those boundaries um and that's that that is really the next step is once you've you're clear you've written down those boundaries mm. then have a conversation an adult conversation you know with your teammates and ask them what their theirs are encourage them to do the same and then respect each other's boundaries and i think that simple thing and getting good at that is a simple place for starting to move yourself towards the balance that you that you believe you, is right for you. I've taken a lot of notes there. I mean that that all feels incredibly I, I feel like you've you've looked into my life over the last 18 months and given me some really <laughs> well I think like it's it's like right now like we have a bit of a reset moment right because over the, the pandemic, what happened is we all had our boundaries, our rhythms, they were all disrupted. Yeah. And and what's happened for most people is that we've we've ended up with a whole bunch of new rhythms. We've ended up with our boundaries being blurred. And we've sort of done that mindlessly. 
you know, we've just said yeah. yes by default. We've just followed along what everyone else is doing. You know, we might not have felt like because of that, we, we might not have been felt brave enough to have a conversation about what really works for us. And, you know, that's all human stuff to do. So it's important to be kind to yourself in that. But now as we move back into, you know, we're getting disrupted all over again. Uh, and it's now it's like, well, take take a little bit more control, right? Focus yep. on creating these rhythms that uh, support you and are sustainable. And start with the, the three that I just talked about then. Yep. And then also I think like people might f find that they are a little bit less in control, say with you know their work day, for instance, sure. but but start with your morning and start with your night, right? So the the times of the day that you have the most control over, start there, and then once you feel good about those, when you feel like you've got consistency, then you can start to move move inwards. Ah, this is gold. I am so going to put this in place. John, <laughs> we, we often hear people talking about having a purpose, and you know that that's really quite essential to having a career that we love. And you, I'd love, I'd love to hear from you about how you advise clients to focus on on the three hustles. Talk me through that. So this all started really from, I guess, what was a dominant narrative that I saw, especially with younger generations, where it was like. We all need to have these purpose-driven jobs. We all need to be out there solving the world, world's problems, you know, changing the world, making it a better place. It's like you, if you're not like the next Mandela or Malala, like like what are you doing? Um, and I thought one is that that's sort of quite, I think, unhealthy in a way. Like it's, and 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 I also think um, it doesn't just acknowledge the individual's experience and what where they're at. And then the other thing I sort of saw too, especially with um, uh, say so millennials, you Gen Zs and stuff like that, is that sometimes there's this unrealistic realistic expectation that work is going to provide us all the meaning, all the purpose that we need in our lives. Sure. And 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 I think like especially when you're younger in your career, like that is, you know, you and I know this. Like when you're doing the you're first in your career, like you're not doing all the amazing stuff, the stuff that sets your soul on fire all the time, no, right? You've, no, you've, no. Got to, you've got to learn the basics. You've got to learn, you know, how to operate, how to be successful and effective, you know, in a working environment. Um, and you've got to earn your stripes in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I've said to people is um, I look at these three hustles essentially. And the first thing is I say, look at your inside hustle. So if you're not necessarily that happy about things which are going on right now first of all the biggest reason for that is going to be because we have an inbuilt hard wiring for negativity we have that negativity bias and so you'll naturally focus more on the stuff that you don't necessarily enjoy than the stuff that you do so we need to be aware of that first of all the second thing is we go okay well if we once we're aware of that we go okay well let me focus on the stuff that i do enjoy right and and the way that I like to think about this is what are the things that you've got going on, whether it's, you know, different parts of your job or projects or people um, that are energizing and important. So the things that you, you know, that really give you joy in many ways, um, but they feel important. They feel like you're creating value in some part. And and this creating value is a good, good thing to think about because because uh, it's, it, you know, when you work for a workplace, it's not all about you. 
um, no. you're, th you're there to create value, right? So um, you, you need to to help drive towards business outcomes and things like that. That's why businesses exist. So it's important to think about that. Um, and so I'll say your first hustle is your inside hustle. So how can you do more of what you love right where you are? Uh, and I, and I, I say this too because the grass isn't always greener. And I definitely know this from a burnout perspective is it doesn't matter what industry, what level of an organization, burnout is everywhere, right? So if you're burnt out where you are, you're going to be burnt out if you go somewhere else without doing any work on yourself to start with. Yeah. So, so focus on your inside hustle. Be really, really clear. This is about taking ownership of your career. It's being able to have a really proactive conversation with your boss about the stuff that you enjoy, why you enjoy it. Is it because of the subject matter? Is it because of the impact you're making on, on a customer? Is it because of the people you get to work with? Is it because um, you're challenged, you know, and you get into a state of flow and you know that you can use your strengths? Like what are all those little, little details because once you're aware of those details, you've got a recipe to ask for more of that. Yeah. Okay. So, th so that's where I say start there. Start with your inside hustle. Then the next hustle is your side hustle. Um, you know, we've hear lots of people talk about slash careers, you know, like, so I'm a coder slash D-Day slash model, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, or slash influence or whatever it might be, you know, um, sort of joking there. But we do see a lot of people doing other things outside their main job. And that's because you're going to have you know, strengths or passions, hobbies um, that, again, like unleash a little an extra side of yourself. And so whether they earn you additional income or not, it's important to create space for some of those and to explore those. Sure. Uh, and then the third hustle is your soul hustle. Um, and this is essentially where you're giving back in some way. And so um, the place that I really like to focus on here is skilled volunteering. So what are the skills that you've got that you could that you could um, offer to a cause that you feel connected to that will make a real difference because they might not necessarily be able to have you working for them uh, in a full time mm -hmm. capacity. But if you were to give yeah. you know a few hours a month, you could actually make quite a big difference uh, to 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 the impact that the cause is able to make. And so, what I say to people is, if you just sort of step back and you go, okay. Your inside uh, hustle is probably going to be the easiest one to start with, right? Where might I explore a, a side hustle? Where could I give back? And if you've got, if you're getting meaning from those three different parts of your life, um, that is going to energize you. That's yeah. going to lift you up. And also you're going to learn all these additional skills that probably are going to actually really support you to stand out in your inside hustle as well. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love it. Let's let's change tack ever so slightly. So in 2019, ironically, right before we heard of COVID, um, the World Health Organization added burnout as a recognised disease. We can point to lots of commentary about huge increases in burnout over the last 20 months, and you're known for amazing results. Uh, with some of the programs that, that you've developed with helping participants overcome the warning signs and, and really get their energy back. Can you talk to us? I'd love to hear some more about some of the work that EnergyX is doing, you know, about your approach and, and why it's so effective. 
So, yeah, so it definitely was ironic, wasn't it? Um, I think one of the other things when it comes to the World Health Organization is that what a lot of people don't realize is that burnout itself is actually a depressive disorder. And so there's a very strong crossover between uh, root causes and symptoms of both depression and, and burnout and even a little bit of anxiety in there as well. And so many, really the the reason that um, I guess I've chosen to focus here is that when I went through my own experiences, um, and a lot of people probably heard me talk before about how I had this David Jones moment, right, where mm. one day um, I found myself wandering around David Jones not knowing how I got there. Um, and and that was a tipping point for me in terms of really saying, Sean, you need to look after your mental health. Um, but what I found at the time was that when I looked at what was trying to find resources to help me get, get well again, everything really focused on specifically depression, anxiety, de uh, suicide, addiction, those types of things. And, and they didn't deal with what you were experiencing. Not at all. Like I just, it just didn't resonate with me. And so what I, the way I sort of describe it is I call what happened to me as an energy crisis because I just literally had nothing left in my tank. Uh, and, and now what I know is well through all of the academic research and the partnerships that we've, we've done, we know that there is a strong crossover. So I was, you know, burnout essentially is a gateway to more serious mental health issues. And what's sort of worrying to me is that mental, uh, is that burnout is, is largely ignored in terms of the mental health strategies that most corporates have. Mm -hmm. um, and that even as individuals, we're largely unaware uh, that these burnout warning signs actually make us vulnerable to more uh, more serious issues as well. And so that's sort of why zero in on, on that burnout. And I also what I find is that, you know, I talked to you before about how um, me talking about my mental health was actually another coming out story, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, because both of those coming outs were carried this huge burden of shame and stigma. And, um, you know, one was about shame about who, who I was. Um, and then my burnout was around shame about the decisions that I'd made. Mm -hmm. You know, and so what I wanted to do was, as a marketer, I was thinking, well, how do you get people, how do you overcome that? Um, and how do I talk to originally when I was developing our approach it was like, how do I talk to more, more people like myself? Um, yeah. And so because we know that men just don't really seek help generally. Um, yeah. But I do think that's actually more of a cultural context thing too. I do think that Aussies, you know, I'm a Kiwi, um, but I've lived here a long time. Um, you know, we're very staunch in our approach. We don't like to admit when we're not at our best. And so the key thing here is really the power of language. Language is a technology. And that's why that's why we say, you know, burnout is, folk, is caused by energy vampires because it's a, a lighthearted way of approaching a serious problem. And what I'll say is it's, it can often feel very scary to people to talk about their mental health. Mm. It's, not, it's not scary to talk about energy. No, no, it's not. And, and, and talking about mental health, I think for many people can still feel like quite a, a dirty secret and you know that that they feel inadequate that they're not in tip top yeah and I think if you're already as and this is why I think there's that sort of trend that I'm seeing that people are tired of these conversations I, even like this year I saw for the first time 
so much cynicism even around things like are you okay day because people saw it as sort of virtue signaling by these businesses who actually were doing the opposite you know and burning out their people and not really giving a shit about um, their mental well-being at the end of the day even though they're sort of saying it um you know by saying you know we're all in on are you okay day so i think like having these conversations conversations about energy are, are inherently they're familiar they're intuitive um that they're fun and engaging and um and they allow us to sort of communicate how we're feeling without necessarily needing to be too vulnerable uh and so and so that's the first thing is like again as a marketer you know like if you can't get people to consider you know um your brand in the first place or you're nowhere, in, yeah. you're nowhere right yeah. and so and so that's why one of the things i'm really proud of is just how is it is is first of all the adoption um that we get so in every program that i run it's never mandatory it's always a, an opt-in experience um we get opt-in rates up into the 90 percentages um and then when we're delivering a program uh our pro like our, our signature program is 100 days and has a number of different components to it because you know a generic one hour masterclass is not going to help you overcome burnout you need to have a, a focus and a personalized focus to, to help you get through it and and, and we've, we've just released a study where we had 88 percent engagement in all of the different parts of that 100 day program um and that just shows that people um feel connected to it they feel like it's actionable um they want they want they want to do it at the end of the day um which is really important so once we've got them there the key thing and i guess the reason that people lean in the people that gauge is that we are very very transparent about the design of the program as well so we have it really comes back i guess we're, we're influenced really by um how do you create a, an inclusive culture right and so an inclusive culture recognizes the individual um, experience and then has this sense of belonging that they create that they can be there themselves but that they still belong to something bigger and that's what we try to create with our programs as well as we recognize the individual experience and the way that we do that is um, is that we have a, a simple online assessment that's delivered by um, our artificial intelligence coach who just asks you a series of questions around um, what's energizing you what's not and helps you set some new energy goals and what that allows us to do is is really to to look at the individual's experience of burnout because this is one other thing that i think is is sort of a, a maybe a narrative maybe so just a big assumption out there is like everybody's experience of, of mental health of burnout um is is actually completely unique i've had I've, you know the reason i do what i do is i've had two burnouts I've had two instances of, of, of depression as well, and none of them felt the same, even though it was still me as the individual. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we're looking at um, someone, we look for 13 different energy vampires, you know, which are burnout warning signs. Yeah. And, and you could have any different, you could have a completely different combination of those from the person next to you. And then, and then even if you were to have two people that had the same combination, you would have very different experiences in terms of the intensity of each of those oh. right and so that means that you, every single person is going to have you know a, a very unique experience and we need to recognize that um and that's 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 one of the, the first parts i guess of the success and then 
what we do is then we then aggregate all of that data to look at the whole team, the whole organization. And what we'll find is that there are certain energy vampires that more people are experiencing. So um, sleep, uh, we've talked about that already, is the most common one. And so for that, um, um, this is where transparency is really important, is that we'll go back to everybody and we'll say, hey, 65% of you are, uh, are having trouble with sleep. So we've designed this collective experience where we're going to bring you all together to go deeper on the sleep science. Sure. And so what that says to people is it says, this is where the sense of belonging is so important because you go, actually, I'm not alone in my experience. There's a whole bunch of other people that are feeling the same way I am. Well, and I, you know, and in my experience, that right there helps me to feel less stigmatized or just immediately feel like, well, I don't, I, it's okay, or I don't feel quite as alone as I used to. And I think, you know, that that right there stops and helps to start to improve how you're feeling. Absolutely. And I think that's what what we all need. Like we all want to feel seen right, mm -hmm. as the individual. And that's why why we use the, the personalized approach. So it's your unique um, program. Um, so our coach, we've got our coach Frankie. And Frankie's called Frankie because Frankie's very frank with you and just says, hey, Katie, based on your results, these are the things that you need to do right now. Right. And we keep it very simple. And so that feeling seen, feeling valued, feeling recognised in your experience is such an important part of inclusion. And then, as you said, that bringing people together um, so that we can, you know, even though there might be 65% of you that are um, not sleeping well, there's still 35% of you that actually can support that 65 as well. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. Or, 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 or at least be more empathetic that other people are experiencing something that they're not. Yes, yes, definitely. So, Sean, I... I've you you set me up on Frankie, which is fantastic, and and you know an AI coach as you mentioned. I'm really keen to hear more about it. But as a marketer, I have, or as a fellow marketer, I have to say, I think one of the aspects as to how you did that was was really clever in in putting it together in the team's environment, which uh, I think you'd be somewhat hard pressed to find, you know, many professionals certainly in, well, not just Australia, but further afield who who aren't already using Teams. And and I thought that was part of your simplicity in, you know, in your approach of not, not needing to download or learn to use another app. Here, here, I'm coming to you in an environment you are already in that took, you know, taught me, Talk me, th talk me through, Frank, more detail. So that, 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 that actually was the result of actually really talking to my clients. So when, um, so what you're sort of talking about here is like what my client said to me, can you just be where we already are? Mm -hmm. Don't take us to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, we know that um, IT teams <laughs> in general as well yeah. are very, um, very time poor themselves. They're very focused on usually strategic project projects so even just trying to get some get uh, technology prioritized is really really hard to do and so if we can make so one of the things we thought here is if we can be where people already are we're not having to create new behaviors as you said and i, I think if you ask anyone do, do you need another app in your life most people are going to say no <laughs> right um <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that we have seen a bit of a this sort of default sometimes because, again, like I would never say, like all of this is for the right intent. 
Um, but I think we've seen a lot of defaults to technology and apps and things like that um, by HR teams when it's not, and then they really, really struggle to drive adoption and engagement. Okay. Um, and, um, and, you know, most organisations would have, like if you just look at the investments that most organisations make in a learning management system or like their EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, you know, both of those will be significant financial investments that are very underutilised. And, and it's because we're trying to send people into different uh, a different destination. So you're trying to create new behaviours. And again, you and I as marketers know that if you want to get people using a product, you've got to spend a lot of money um, getting reinforcing the value of that. And then you've got to spend a lot of money over again to drive um, adoption and utilisation, regular utilisation, so that they feel connected to your brand or your product. And the reality is HR teams just don't have the resources to do that. Um, and so we need to focus where people already are. Um, and that's why we thought, okay, well, we built Frankie. Frankie lives where people already are. So he lives in Teams, lives in Slack. Um, we're going to be releasing WhatsApp version. Uh, we'll have Facebook Workplace as well. You know, so we're just where people already are. It's just another chat, you know. And um, I think the one thing that I've been encouraging people to do is make your chat with Frankie the first chat you have okay. of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Because Because then you then what you're saying is you're valuing yourself, right? You're going, actually, I'm going to just spend just, and often a chat with Frankie is literally 60 seconds or less, right? It's just because it's always about just one simple thing. It's never about trying to take more of your time. And that, again, was another big thing for me is I didn't want to build a product or a business that was uh, linked to attention. Like, I don't want to be one of those energy stealers, oh. vampires, right? So it's like, what's the minimum amount of technology that people can interact with where they already are that's going to help them progress, help them feel better and move forward in a really simple and actionable way? Well, I, I'm, I'm, what am I, a week into using Frankie and it's, it's awesome. Or it, she? They, them, they, them. Okay. So Frankie's pronouns are they, them, um, you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, like I, it's really great to hear that, right? We, we designed Frankie just to be, it's, it really is a fine art, right? Because uh, I guess one of the other reasons why Frankie exists is that I've realised that the only reason that I can do what I do is because of privilege. Yes. You know, I have had... Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be identified, you know, as high potential talent, you know, and back in my, my, my corporate days, and therefore I had a lot of money spent on me. Um, and, you know, what I believe is everyone's talent. Everyone deserves that. You know, everyone deserves a coach. And I think this is one of the things that we sort of see as adults here as well, is like we would never deny one of our children the opportunity to have a coach. No, no. And then as adults, we sort of think, oh, well, we don't, well, we're either told we don't deserve it because it's only this sort of small pocket of employees that deserve that. You know, so we create this sort of class system, um, which, you know, again, I've benefited from, but it just really doesn't sit well with me. Um, and so I believe that we all deserve a coach. You know, Frankie, Frankie literally is the coach we all deserve. Someone that sees you, recognises you wants sees your potential and just wants to support you in really simple ways to be your best who who I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find many people who um couldn't fairly easily get on board with that that's what i hope <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I well, no, I think I think Frankie is awesome. Hey, Sean, so people people are companies' greatest assets, and you know, as we've as we've already discussed, we're hearing more than ever about burnout. And anecdotally, I know several senior executives with women who have kids and who, over the last year or so, have made decisions to move. Uh, move jobs into less senior roles so that the so that the well the demands of, of work are, are reduced and McKinsey published a report in September that cited some similar examples of this I'm interested to understand what you're advising employers to introduce to support the well-being of parents and particularly working mothers because we have also read over the course of the last couple of years that it is particularly working mothers who are picking up loads of the additional caring responsibilities uh, yeah absolutely and we've we've assessed the well-being of um, like thousands of women over the pandemic uh, and one of the things we actually just released is um, some insights we found is we know that um, almost 59 percent of women are at risk of burnout or depression based on the uh, the the measures that are included in the world health organization well-being index which is one of the key inputs to the design of any of our programs. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing that reflected, as you said, that McKinsey report said that 50% of, of senior um, uh, female leaders are burned out. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the other crazy stats that I heard was that in the US, more than 400,000 working mums had given up their jobs. And like, that's, just extraordinary to see such a massive loss of talent yeah. overall. And I think that, you know, first of all, I just come back to this about just pure business, right? Every business knows the importance of, of diversity and of gender equality and have probably spent a significant amount of money to change whatever proportion of women are in leadership roles in their organizations and their ability to, to be seen as a as an employer of choice around this so don't stop now right that's sort of what i'm saying it's like now you need to, to to really focus on this but i think it's really about one of the key things that we've talked about inclusion you know is sort of key key part of even just the way we design our programs uh and another thing that i think is that if you can um support uh, working mums, you know, who are the ones that we, again, so much data out there in terms of uh, the disproportionate impact that the pandemic has had on working mothers. Uh, if you can support your working mothers to overcome burnout, whatever you learn in doing that will apply to literally every other employee. Okay. Right. So, so being, and this is where I think often I think we, we overcomplicate um, designing solutions. It's like, well, I always say, who's got the most interesting version of that problem, right? So if we go, okay, well, what we also know is like, so there's, there's a difference, right, between parental burnout and job burnout. Yes. And so job burnout, obviously related to specifically to the work context, parental burnout, you're going to see things like people feeling emotionally distanced from their children, you know, about feeling not effective in their parenting role. And, and what, what is sort of like scary in this is that, you know, a lot of working mothers are probably going to have both forms. 
um, that they're that they're that they're experiencing at the moment. And so, if, as an employer, if you just zero it and you go, okay, well, if we design a program that we know is going to help um, our working mums overcome, and 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 that we teach we treat that as a as the basically our retention strategy as well. Sure. Um, that we can take that program and I bet you can lift it up and, and apply 90% of it to all of your other employees and use that as a retention strategy there too. Okay, and, and what what do, what are you seeing as key components to said strategy? Yeah, so I think the thing is that, um, first of all, it's starting by leveraging what you've already got. Right, so you've already got a diversity inclusion policy strategy. How is this a reflection of this? You've probably already introduced flexibility. Um, and I think when we talked about balance and boundaries earlier, like this is a great way, a great frame of looking at what flexibility means, right? For 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 working mums, for instance. The second thing is that you've 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 really got to start with the right data and insights. You know, and it's like, as you said, like, even though, again, we're seeing that as a trend, working mothers are, um, are disproportionately impacted, their own individual experiences of burnout will again be unique. Right, so you've still got to do, follow the same design uh, principles that we talked about earlier about having that personalised experience that recognises the individual and then having a collective experience that brings people together to not feel isolated, to feel that, create that sense of belonging. And is that... Would you suggest that's both at a sort of you know company-wide level and then as a as an employee working with their with their line manager? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think you know leaders, it's 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 like it's great that you bring up leaders, right? Because one of the things that we've seen in this is that you've got a lot of burned out leaders leading burned out teams. <laughs> Um, yeah. And and then we're seeing, as you said, you've got fifty percent of executive women that are reporting being burnt out, and so it's really important that we still treat leaders as humans. <laughs> um, and and one of the principles, like like we've been employing um, with our clients as well, is that we we sort of ask ourselves up front, we go, how can we not put extra weight on leaders? Right, but given that they're already burnt out, given that in times of crisis, our natural instinct is just here, leaders have more work, have more responsibility. Mm -hmm. How can we support them? And so the best way to sort of accelerate through this is actually to make sure that you've got a top down and bottom up approach. So you're supporting the individuals and their personal experience. You bring them together around collective ex experiences as well, but you're also supporting the leaders to actually do, really do three things around that. So one is they need to be role models because if a leader is burnt out and they're telling you to do stuff to not burn out, then you're not gonna listen. You know, it's like you're gonna go, well, oh. you're not doing it, why would I do it? Yep. The second thing is we need to help leaders actually um, be great coaches around this stuff. So a great leader should already be a great role model and a great coach, but it's around, including these self-care conversations, these self-care accountability conversations into your one-on-ones and into your team meetings. Okay. And then the third thing I think leaders can do here is really, and this doesn't, again, they don't have to have all the answers with this, is as a team, they can acknowledge and they can say, okay, what's our collective vision around looking after ourselves as a team? How do we make sure that no one gets left behind, um, that um, we're still holding people responsible and accountable 
the same way that we would say, okay, you said that you were going to deliver this project by this date to this quality, you know, uh, you should be having the same type of conversation around looking after yourself. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I think like at the end of the day, like we're all adults, right? So yeah. we all should yeah. be taking responsibility for our well-being. Yeah. And everyone will say, you know, I don't have enough time. I don't have that. It's like you're not you're not powerless in this conversation. It's about knowing. It's about, mm. and this is why I say, like, if I invest or an organization invests in in a well-being program like like uh, the ones that we deliver, then I would say to them, well, at the end of that program, you are more you have a complete creative credibility to expect that your your team has actually taken on board and practiced some of those skills. Yes. The, the same way that you, if you had sent them um, to, you know, a presentation skills course or a coding course, you know, you would expect to see an improvement in that skill. Sure you do. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, like, and just to sort of bring it back to the business sort of impact of this as well is what, what we know and it's funny we keep talking about McKinsey they've been doing some really great work around this um, actually over the pandemic um, it'd be interesting to know if it's the same inside as it is outside um, but um, um, but what their research is also showing is that the number one driver of job satisfaction which is then going to lead to engagement loyalty productivity you know all of those things innovation probably as well um, is actually self-motivation and wellness. Um, and that's the top driver. But then if you look at the, there's 10 of them, if you look at the others, seven of those other 10 are also sort of in that well-being family as well. So these are all sort of self-leadership, self-management skills that we can teach our people that ultimately are going to help them deliver better work and be more productive, be more creative, be more inclusive. But also um, it's going to... Uh, reduce their their risk around burnout as well Jeez, that's um that's amazing so eight out of the the top 10 drivers of job satisfaction around well wellness and and health that's that's really interesting yeah and in it energy is one of those um um but there are others that are that are in there as well um okay. that are really just I, I think when it comes back to it it's really about this idea of of um of self-management so they're things like the other ones are things like um you know grips and pers persistence empathy um being able to understand your biases so like self-awareness oh. coping with actually the second one the second driver of job satisfaction is someone's ability to cope with uncertainty right oh, um, oh well haven't we all had a bit of a dose of that the last two years yeah and so but but what what that also what that means right is that that's where well-being is there like your your ability to cope with uncertainty ultimately comes back to how much gas you've got in the tank yes yep yeah yes it sure does um which is a lovely um foray into the next question that i wanted to ask you um over the last 20 months how has your thinking changed about work and balance yeah, that's a really good point, right? Um, so it, as you can imagine, again, coming back to sort of the branding and marketing, my brand is all about energy. Yeah. And I, so the first thing I have to say is, well, no one's going to buy an energy program <laughs> from someone that looks tired and burnt out. You know, so it's very, very, very important, obviously, that I look after myself. And 
what I'm, I guess, again, what I'm lucky and what my privilege has provided me again, and this is a privilege both in terms of you know, investment in me, collaborating with academics and scientists on, on the design, and then, of course, literally being out there and working with, you know, we're into the tens of thousands of people now that we've, that we've worked with, is that I, I really have built, I guess, a framework for living for myself. And that doesn't mean that that I'm perfect at all, right? And I think this is one of the things is that you will always have those times, you know, when you're going to push yourself a bit further yeah. than other times, or you're going to make some compromises in order to drive a certain outcome. Um, you know, you need to, we need to be adaptable um, at, at the end of the day. And so I think for me, I've, I've always been pretty good at um, boundaries, to be honest, uh, well, especially with this with this program because I know that so for instance you know one of the biggest changes that I noticed to start with was I was doing all of my programs in person and I literally can't wait to be able to do that again um, but when you're delivering content in person you don't have to be all the energy in the room no no you don't right and and but when you're delivering delivering an online masterclass you have to be you know, 90% often, and I, I design my my classes to be very, like, interactive. We know that that in passive learning experiences don't really work, right? You need people engaged and involved in stuff. So I design that um, into, into my, my things, but I still have to be largely 90, 90% of the energy, right? And so I remember the very first day that I launched our, um, our, our very first online masterclasses, I like was very silly and I actually had three in that day and I was exhausted afterwards and I couldn't work out why. I'm like, I only worked, you know, worked in, in quotation marks, um, you know, three hours that day, but it was just this extraordinary amount. I had to literally have a lie down. And there are points where um, when I've been, um, haven't had a lot of clients all at once, you know, because say around times like are you okay day world mental health awareness month you know everybody you tend to see a lot more uh, work going on where i would literally have to you know make take myself off and just have a little bit of a lie down you know for 15 minutes afterwards because i just given so much uh, um, so difficult I, I run quite a bit of training and pre-covid would be in a room as you say with with a bunch of other people and trying to be energetic and really charismatic and really interesting while talking to a screen at the desk in the corner of my bedroom is so exhausting i mean i've gotten a hell of a lot better at it over the last couple of years but i i just don't enjoy it like i do being in a room full of people yeah i mean i i am like one of the things that people don't well often don't really expect from me is I am more of an introvert so I do love sort of being in a room with people but it's sort of it's quite a safe space for me like I'm quite good at my boundaries even when I'm with people um and so I I, I quite enjoy you know, being tied to myself and things like that so um so those are things I have to to think about but I think coming just coming back to the design as you said like people need an, an antidote to what they're going through, you know? And so I had a, held that as a very high standard for myself right from the very first masterclass I designed, um, which was that I need to be the best at this. And I think that, um, and I need to, and I need to be the best at this so that I achieve 
the best outcomes for people. That's the way I thought of it. It wasn't about wasn't about ego. It was about the only way that I can continue to get the type of results I was getting at an in-person workshop was to be really, really good at this. And I think what I was what I've been lucky in is having this background of this of well, actually it's like I talk about this is my fifth career, right? I've done I've been in the fitness industry, I've done telco and technology, I've been in advertising, I've done HR, you know, and it's really all of those things that have bought that are now in energy X. Yeah. Um, and so um and so in my experience, I guess, as a designer of experiences, as a customer experience expert from my brand role, meant that I would think about, you know, am I catering for different learning styles? Do I change the cadence? How do I have the ups and downs? Where do I insert those points where I want people to um, to interact? How can I get them interacting as early as possible? So you sort of set that as the yeah. tone and expectation. You know, all of those things were, were really, really important in how I designed what I did. Uh, Sean, I could keep talking to you for hours, but I have one more question that I would love to ask you, please. As we in the Southern Hemisphere head into the summer break and, you know, God willing, um, sometime soon in Melbourne, we'll actually start to get some decent weather. I'd like to know, what are the top three things that you suggest we should be thinking about as we slow down and consider our approach for 2022? Are you slowing down, are you? <laughs> uh, well, no, not yet, but I very much looking <laughs> So, um, look, I think this is a really good, the first thing I think is, you know, like I think about my mood and optimism right, and creating something for yourself. I think we have this really, we do have a, a unique reset, reset moment. We can either choose to finish our year exhausted or we can choose to finish it energized. So the first thing is what choice are you going to make, right? Where do you want to finish it? If you choose to finish the year energized, that means just changing a couple of things. Um, and the first thing I would say is comes right back to the to um, uh, one thing I want to say, I guess, as a, as a caveat here is that what we know is that and we were seeing this again before the pandemic was that we're seeing more and more people go away on holidays and still come back tired. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so and the reason for that, that and this is sort of shocking maybe to even say is that sometimes rest itself isn't enough. And and so the rest needs to be purposeful and structured in some way. And that's why I would say to people, if, if you've got, you know, a couple of weeks off, just come back to that idea of what rhythms can I create for myself on this break that allow me to recharge my batteries, but also get me consistent, consistently practicing creating that rhythm. And so that could be a simple, well, the simplest place to start, as I would say, is even though you're on holidays, just still try to go to bed at the same time as much as possible. Okay. Right. Obviously, that might not be the case on New Year's Eve or something like that, but like, <laughs> you know, um, choose a time and just try and stick to it. Okay. Right. So start with sleep. That's the, that's the first thing. Yeah. And then use that time to really reflect on what type of rhythms do I want to create for myself and boundaries do I want to create for myself as I start back into the work year and and start the way you intend to continue. 
Okay. But don't wait till day one, right? This is what I'm saying. It's like, this is the thing is that most of our problems or things that we experience in life are due to us just trying to sort of do things on the fly. Yeah, I, I think a really consistent takeaway from me from our discussion is that there needs to be some strategy or a plan around this and ideally written down and it I mean certainly from a personal perspective the way that I will achieve that is doing some noodling over it over the Christmas break while I'm out for a run or just having some nice slow time and putting putting that down on a piece of paper or on a screen and as yeah. a coming back and starting in a very considered way. Yeah, if you can just, so th this is one of the things like I guess that we've seen disrupted, right? Al, if you're a person, like most of us are going to probably return to some sort of hybrid way of working, yeah. you know, and so and so create for yourself what your, what your morning routine is gonna look like, whether you're working from home or you're at the office. Okay. Right. And so, and it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It could be just, say, I'm going to experiment doing this. But this is one of the things that, you know, before the pandemic, you probably had the same morning routine that you've been doing for years and years and years, completely on autopilot. Yep. Right. Yes. And so it's, it's not about finding more time because you've already got the time. It's just making sure that what you do in that time is actually supporting your energy, your overall wellbeing. Um, and then, I, I guess a point that I want to make on that too is that there will be, you know, what we've sort of seen, right, when with the restrictions easing is that you got people one end of the spectrum that want to line up at 12, you know, one minute past midnight to go to Kmart. And then you've got other people that are like, I'm just quite happy just to stay in my home <laughs> for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. and, and, and all of us are somewhere in the middle of that, right? And so if you are nervous, and I think this is something we need to be empathetic to other people as well, like just because you're excited or you doesn't mean everyone is, is uh, if you are nervous in any way about your return to work journey, first of all, break it down into all the little milestones or points on that journey, right? So if there's, you get on the bus here, get off the bus here, you walk into the office, you talk to this, but whatever it might be, break it down into little steps. Wherever there are points of stress or anxiety for you around that, mm -hmm. zero in on there and go, what do I need to trust? And this is a big word, trust. What do I need to trust? How do I, what do I need to do to be able to say, I've got this, okay. right? Do I need to have a skill? You know, do I need to say so like one of the things that I teach people is I teach them a square breathing practice. So anytime they feel anxious or overwhelmed or stressed, they can just say, I'm going to pull that out of my little toolkit and I'm just going to breathe for 90 seconds and then I'll calm my, activate my parasympathetic nervous system and then I can make a clear decision about what I do next, right? Um, or is it because I need to fully understand, you know, all of the different um, uh, safety protocols in my office, you know, am I really clear on that? Like, not just like I've read over it once, but am I really clear on it? Mm -hmm. because that will help alleviate my stress because I know that I trust that I'm being looked after I'm being cared for wow. you know and and so I think the more that we can do that and you know again this if their market is listening it's just like doing a mapping a customer journey right and you're just doing it for yourself what? and you go okay where are those points of stress what do I need to learn what do I need to trust how can I say I've got this um and if you can do 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 that right get the rest set up your morning and, and evening routines map your back to work experience you know then you're going to be set pretty well set
Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, Sean. Thank you. It's not very exciting. I think like it's pretty boring <laughs> to sort of talk about that stuff. But, you know, they are often it's just those things that are just very practical that will make yeah. a big difference to us. Uh, hey, I'm all about practical practicalities that, that will make a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, as you can, once you get the practical stuff in, then you can add a little bit of fun or flavour, whatever works yeah. for you. Exactly. Yeah. Sean, this has been an absolute pleasure and incredibly useful and interesting and insightful. Thank you so much for your time. Always happy to chat to you, Katie. Thank you so much for inviting me along. Thanks. Sean, that was awesome. I've been Katie Bennett-Stenton. Thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.